Welcome to the Lessons Learned Podcast, a podcast reflecting on the lessons we've learned and those we're still in the process of learning. I'm Komal, your host. I'm an interviewer, investor, and someone who has lived a lot of life in a short time. I built this podcast as a place for us to reflect, to be together, and to learn from one another. Let's get into it. Hey fam, welcome to the next episode of the Lessons Learned podcast. I am sitting in my office in CARP and the sun is streaming in through the front window of my office and I'm feeling very warm from it, but I literally moments ago just had my head on my desk in my arms and just had this pit of anxiety in my belly. And why and and I had earphones and I was listening to a podcast I was listening to how I built this with Milk Bar founder and I've been listening to a lot of different podcasts from various founders and folks who have built their own empires and this is something that I've done for years and now it feels like there's a different intentionality attached to how I'm listening to how people created what they've created and that's what I wanted to talk about on today's episode of the show. I want to give you guys a glimpse into the inner workings of my brain. Since the Michelle Obama interview, I've been asked a lot of what's next, what's next, what's going to come next for you. And I think that what makes it hard as an entrepreneur or as a solopreneur is all next steps are fully dependent on you and what you decide to do and what you're willing to put on the table and how much work you're willing to put into the next right step. And when you are working on it alone, you have finite resources, both from a financial standpoint, an energetic standpoint, a strategic brain standpoint, um, from lots of different areas. You are limited in resources. So how you expend those resources is really critical. And when I'm thinking of my next steps and what the right next step is for me, I wrote down a little bit of a, a four or five part strategy that I'm employing right now as I figure out this next period of things and, and the next phase of growth for me as the Gomal brand um, and how I can scale as an interviewer. So this is a little bit of an inner workings of my brain that you're going to get today on the show. So step one for me is always research. How do I get to know what to do next? I have to know what other people have done in a similar space and say people haven't existed in my space before than spaces that are similar to mine. So for me, the biggest role model or path or journey that I look to, that I would like to uh, extrapolate similarities between myself and, and their career journey. If I'm trying to be an interviewer, it would obviously be Oprah. Now, Oprah is incomparable. There's no like way to quantify the power of her existence, the story of her and where she was born, how she was raised. Um, that conversation she had with her grandmother who said, you know, I hope you find yourself some good white folks to work for. And, and Oprah being like, no, like that's not for me. This is not going to be my future. And I want to actually pull in a little bit of Oprah's story around ownership of her brand. So we know 
origin story and the impact of her as a black woman in media at the time that she came up and it being unheard of that her show would do better than Phil Donahue's in the Chicago market. Um, but she got the Oprah Winfrey show at the age of 32. And when she was starting that show, it started to take off really quick. The, the resonance with the audience, with the market in Chicago was huge. Now, I've been doing a deep dive into sort of how the ownership structure came to be for her to own the Oprah Winfrey show. And it's actually a really fascinating story. And it's one that I want to share with you here today so that you can get a sense of the inner workings of my own brain when I'm thinking of my next right steps or how to how we can extrapolate next right steps for ourselves from the stories of those people who inspire us. So Oprah was doing a lot of different television shows, talk shows, um, news anchoring, and then finally got this opportunity to host the morning show in Chicago. And it was rebranded to the Oprah Winfrey show around the time that she um, had negotiated with ABC to take back her ownership rights of the show. So they actually um, owned the show and effectively Oprah was an employee. And she recalls in a bunch of articles that I was reading about that when they were in negotiations for her salary or for uh, figuring out the next right steps for her in the show, her agent um, negotiated her a deal where I think she was getting paid like a quarter million dollars a year U.S. And that for the next six years, she would get a $30,000 raise year after year. And when she was walking down the halls at ABC, which was the network that was, and her local network who was producing the show, um, the higher ups would say, wow, your agent was such a pleasure to work with. It's, it was amazing to work with him. You're so lucky that, that he's representing you. And that didn't sit right for Oprah. She was like, any time in my career when I've entered a new space, I've always been demeaned or condescended to in terms of the amount of space I'm trying to take up. So for like my agent shouldn't have made this easy on these negotiations. It should, they should actually be coming at me with a different energy. And so she decided actually to fire her agent. And upon firing the agent, she was at the time in a relationship with or dating Ebert from Siskel and Ebert, the, the movie reviewers. And he had worked with a very good lawyer who had helped negotiate syndication rights and the scaling of the Siskel and Ebert show. And so Ebert recommended his lawyer to Oprah, which was something Jacobs. You can look it up. I should have this. And I I wrote just a couple of um, quick notes for myself before sitting down to record. So I apologize that I don't have his proper name, but something Jacobs. And so this Mr. Jacobs goes back to the studio and starts or to ABC and starts renegotiating Oprah's whole deal. And in those negotiations actually goes from Oprah just being a paid employee getting this quarter million a year, which is nothing to scoff at, especially when you look at inflation, shift in cost of living, like what that would actually be the equivalent of today is significantly higher. Um, But he took that back to the table and negotiated ownership of the show back to Oprah. So she was no longer just an employee of an ABC show. She was the owner of the Oprah Winfrey show. And that's when they renamed the show to the Oprah Winfrey show. And not only that, but shortly after they started that official season, that next sort of step for the Oprah Winfrey show, um, 
J- Mr. Jacobs actually got syndication rights back to Oprah because at the time, networks like ABC, like they couldn't syndicate the show and syndication means distributing it to other networks around the country. So what's really interesting is if you think of this when we're talking about the way startups scale now and the way that we look at startups and their growth, she was using Chicago as her test market and that was her pilot area. So her beating Phil Donahue in the Chicago market was an indicator for her that scalability was going to work really well for her. So the negotiating of the ownership of the Oprah Winfrey show was a huge first step, but syndication is actually where she ended up making majority of her wealth early on. And that's turned into compounded significant growth in her wealth overall. So she went from owning the show to now purchasing back the syndication rights from ABC, from the Chicago uh, network, because they couldn't syndicate the show. But what they did in the deal was that ABC had first right in every market to broadcast the Oprah Winfrey show. So she purchased back syndication rights, has this first right deal with ABC so that now she can sell back to ABC her show across or across North America or across the U.S. And there's that infamous clip of her saying, welcome to the first ever national Oprah Winfrey show. And that was really the beginning of her creating massive amounts of wealth for herself while also scaling the show across the country. It is so fascinating to me. So I'm going to tell you just a couple of other details um, that I can remember from what I read. One being that the distribution company that she ended up going through ended up being purchased by CBS. But when they planned the distribution deal, she actually owned an equity ownership stake in that distribution company. So when CBS purchased them, it ended up turning into about half a percent of CBS that Oprah owns. So not only did she negotiate ownership of her own show syndication rights, but she now owns a chunk of ABC because she negotiated equity into that deal with ABC, but also with CBS down the line because of the acquisition of the syndication and distribution partner that she owned an ownership stake in. And when I look at this partnership between Oprah and Mr. Jacobs and then the different people that she hired along the way, I am so impressed. And I mean, like, what does it mean that I'm impressed with Oprah? Like we all are. But it's like when you look at everything she's built, it's the tip of the iceberg, what we're seeing on the front end as consumers, as audience members. There is so much intelligence, strategic business decisions, um, like incredible decision making that goes into the empire that she's built. And I am deeply inspired by that. We're in an entirely different media climate now. A nationally syndicated show isn't necessarily an option or the best strategy for scaling and growth. But what we can extrapolate from her experience with this is ownership is so important. If she was an employee, she would have continued to make a salary with ABC. But as an owner, in that first few years, her and Mr. Jacobs ended up making $40 million in the first year from owning the syndication rights and the licensing that came out of that. And I am going to link it in the show notes, but the article that does a deep dive into this, because it just really, like when I read this, I was just like, holy shit, there's so much we can learn from that case study in terms of how we can go around building our businesses, especially in media, but maintaining ownership of the media that we're creating. I was also listening to the case study of Gimlet, 
which is basically the way that the founders pitched it in the beginning was it's the HBO, but for podcasts. So in 2014, um, Alex and his co-founder, Matt, created Gimlet. And it's actually very cool because he um, used to be a producer on This American Life for NPR. And he became an incredible editor and producer of podcasts and shows. He created a couple different shows for NPR. One, uh, I think it's called Planet Money, that ended up doing really well. And when he was creating that show, he realized the nonprofit model didn't work for that show because they really could have been profitable through ad revenue and because of the level, the scale of the audience that they had for that show. So that inspired him to know that, hey, audio at this point, podcasts at this point are going to be big. I'm going to go all in on this and figure out a way to be a network for podcasts. And Gimlet in 2019 sold to Spotify for $200 million. And again, that majority ownership led Matt and Alex to now have very comfortable lives for themselves and their families, but also to be working with a company like Spotify, which can allow them to scale, reach new listeners with all of their shows and also understand and extrapolate more analytics and data that they couldn't get on their own without a major partner or um, company like Spotify coming in and acquiring them. The reason I bring up Matt and Alex is because Alex's experience with NPR of being an employee of NPR and not having full ownership of the content he was creating, of how he could scale it, of the ability to build his own ad revenue around it, bring in the partners, sponsors that he knew would fit with it, um, and not be restricted to a nonprofit model. He didn't have the ownership to be able to make those decisions. So when he left NPR and started his own podcast called Startup, which was the first podcast out of Gimlet, and it's really just going through his process of building the startup in 2014 all the way to the final season, season eight, where they become acquired by Spotify, um, you get to uh, a really in-depth look at what that process was like. And I haven't listened yet, but I heard segments on how I built this and I'm really excited to dive in myself. But his decision to own the to become the owner of the media and content he was creating was critical in his ability to scale and get to a larger market which now Spotify has the largest audience of listeners I think in the world and that is Gimlet is now part of Spotify so therefore Gimlet now has access to a platform that or is a platform that has access to some of the highest numbers of listeners in the world And that distribution, that scaling is a modern example in my eyes of a similar Oprah model of ownership. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was some equity for Spotify negotiated in for Alex and Matt, which would have been really smart on their part, which I'm sure that they did. So I wanted to share these examples because this is what my brain is chewing on. How do I create a show or a series of shows, event series, um, conversation style, that becomes synonymous with me as Gomel and becomes scalable through the show, which right now is lessons learned, um, that can go to a larger market. And how do I extrapolate the value for you guys, for listeners that would make this a highly impactful, meaningful place for you to come week to week for us to build this trust and relationship while also strategically thinking of the next business steps for this. And when I was sitting down to think about what I wanted to talk about this week, we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, personal growth concepts of, you know, those we admire most are those who consistently create the artistic standpoint of me getting back to the mic. Rupi having said to me, you know, you need to turn your strategic brain off for 
a while and just let yourself be the creator, be the artist. And I didn't expect the cycle of me being able to turn that part of my brain off to come to an end quite so quickly. Um, but that is the nature of being creator and CEO. So artist and product is me, but I'm also the strategic business brains behind the operation. And so for me to oscillate between the two is something I need to get used to because they can happen simultaneously, but I was under the impression that I was going to have the privilege of being able to turn my business brain off entirely. But I'm effectively running a new startup. (laughs) And this is something I think I was in a bit of denial about um, coming out of or going into the fall and launching the podcast. I thought, oh, I just get to launch this and I'm going to find the right partners to kind of help take off the business workload of this. But the thing is, when the product is so intimately linked to who I am and what I do, and it's literally my voice, my thoughts, my experience, I am the best person to sell this or to share it with potential sponsors, partners who can make this financially viable for me. So something that I am grateful for in my research and education right now is understanding the power of ownership so that it can help me adjust my thoughts around the business model. So I'm not necessarily going to go out and look for equity investments in my quote unquote media company right now because ownership's important to me. And also I don't have the business plan, the products in place around the shows and things that I want to create for someone to properly invest in right now. But sponsorship and partnership with the right companies and organizations for say a multiple city tour around North America where I can interview thought leaders in various city centers and have a title sponsor who's coming on to help me do that in Q1 of next year is a logical next step and hint hint is likely my next right step. But before we get into logistics and planning of the of the multiple city tour, I am on the hunt right now for the right strategic partners, sponsors to come on board with me. There's brands that I love so much that I need to build the courage to pitch to because Mitch and I were talking about this last night and I've never had to pitch myself. When I have brought in money in the past, it was on behalf of a friend's company, bringing in other investors to come on board and invest in that company. Um, Or it was in a fundraising capacity for fundraisers and things that I did when I was younger growing up. And um, I was pitching on behalf of an organization or a charity or a meaningful cause. So now that I'm turning the light back on myself and starting to look at my list of contacts and my Rolodex, it comes back to something I said last week where it's like, I have to trust the world to be ready to invest in me. I went full-time with interviewing two months ago. I secured one of the biggest interviews one could have in their career with Michelle Obama in front of 8,000 people. I have years of experience behind me now yet there's still a part of my brain that is really scared of putting myself out there and asking sponsors and partners to come in um, to be equal partners with me and with lessons learned to share their stories with you, my listeners, so that we can scale together and they can see meaningful growth for their company and I can see meaningful growth for our audience and for my company. And so this episode is really planting a stake in the ground for me in two ways. One being, I'm still the artist, the creator who wants to talk about whatever's on my mind. 
but I'm giving myself permission again to reactivate the business brain and to know that talking about the business and how it's made is something that you guys are probably interested in hearing about and also important for me to talk about to get it off my chest out of my brain because I work mostly alone every day. So this is a great place for me to soundboard with you guys um, without any response until you guys hear it, but to just get these thoughts out of my brain, but also to flex those business muscles that I have been building for the last decade. It's funny because I've never more identified with being an entrepreneur than I do right now. And I haven't brought in any revenue or, um, you know, I'm starting from scratch again. And this time is different because I don't want to be the one, only one investing in myself financially this time. I know I'm ready to bring on partners to help me do this and build this and scale it and bring it to you guys, IRL, and to have meaningful dialogues with thought leaders across the board. So let's come back to the framework I wanted to share with you guys today. So when I'm looking at the next strategic right step after a big moment in my career or life, research is step one. Actually, like, let's go back a second. Taking a second to celebrate is really step one. And I did my best to do that this time. I've learned lessons about how I want to celebrate more in the future after a big milestone. So say post tour in the spring, taking like at least a week or two to just let it ruminate, let myself soak it in, be okay with the lows that's going to come from like post tour blues but then also celebrating and acknowledging the wins that are going to have been had at that point. Because I feel like I didn't do that enough post Michelle Obama this time, which was a big learning for me. So that's actual step one. Step two is begin the research. Let yourself slowly start taking in the information that you need for your next right step. And I guess between celebrating and research is starting to decide what feels like and is the right next step for you. So tour became abundantly clear to me because I want to do live events. I love working with a studio audience or an audience with the interviews. I think that it's a different experience. Like for me to be able to have that intimate a dialogue like I did with Michelle Obama in front of 8,000 people, if I can do that in front of 30 or 40 of you with thought leaders that we love across industry and the cities that we're going to be going to, I think we're going to have such a beautiful sound and experience here on the show. And also for the web series that I'd like to launch next year along with the video, so video and audio content from each of the interviews and then keep the solo pods going. I can hear Kim in the back of my mind being like, you're giving too much information. We need some mystery and allure, but this is helpful for me to be able to just share with you guys what I'm thinking, how I strategically want to get to the next right steps for me. So sorry, Kim. <laughs> so then you get into celebrating and then you go into figuring out that next right step and then diving into research. And as you can hear, I've been doing a lot of research. And when Mitch and I go to Mexico next week, it's still going to be my period of research and ruminate. And so that takes me to step four in the process, which is letting your mind wander. I find that being an artist and being a business person, there's a difference in terms of output, but the process in our minds is actually pretty similar. And, you know, people say like for you to fill your creative well, you need to rest, um, do all the things, the walks, um, whether it's driving for you, listening to Sarah Blakely this week, talk about her experience with Spanx and dry, long drives being where she gets her best ideas. Her Spanx office is actually really close to her house in Atlanta. And uh, she actually now just leaves an hour earlier so she can drive around and make a fake commute so that she can spend time thinking. So figuring out what your best brain power spaces are and then making more time to do those things so for me it's actually actually this office is an incredible place for me to let my brain wander and do its thing but also 
we're going to Mexico on Saturday. So Mitch and I are looking at this as like a bit of a reset trip where we're going to be focusing on getting up early, getting back in our morning routine and those habits that I talked about in the rituals episode. We want to use this trip as an opportunity to reground, resettle, set some intentions for 2020 together, do some strategic planning, also have some downtime. We love playing volleyball, so we're probably going to be playing hours of volleyball every day and just taking good downtime on the resort while also reconnecting to the habits that make us feel great and the rituals that make us feel great. And so my goal for that week is and step four of this sort of process of figuring out your next right steps um, is letting your mind wander and creating space for the wonder to emerge. So wonder for me is so important when I'm planning strategic next steps for business because without wonder, I can't be the visionary that I am. I couldn't have come across my Michelle Obama idea if it wasn't for the recovery I had post-surgery last fall and the extended recovery I needed with so much time with myself and chillage and Yes, my body was recovering, but my mind had a lot of free time to just play and create space for something new and big to emerge, which it eventually did. So figure out how can you let your mind wander? What are the places, spaces, and things that allow you to come up with your best ideas, to create the best kind of um, space for ideas and creativity that you possibly can? And know that this isn't, again, just for those quote-unquote artists, those of us who podcast or write or paint or create music. No, this is also for those of you who are in your nine to five jobs, are bureaucrats, are business people. The more space your brain has, the better strategic thinker you become. And strategic thinking is really just creative thinking. So if you give your brain the space it needs, you're going to operate and function better in your job overall, but also you're going to have even better ideas and the things that connections you're trying to make between certain research points that you're going to have taken in are going to happen more naturally when you're in a state of play. So figure out how can you play more. So once I let my mind wander, it is time for the action plan. And so I do know that while I'm in Mexico, one of the last couple of days, I'm going to sit down and let my brain really dive into the strategic um, planning of this next period of time. So for me specifically, it's what do I need to know more about sponsorship and pitching so that we can have great success in this endeavor? Um, what are my timelines going to look like? What's my cold call list going to look like? Like I'm effectively going to be going into a sales position when I'm back from Mexico and I'm just making my hit list of these are the people, companies, organizations who are values aligned with me, who I think I can bring great strategic value to depending on what their priorities are and who I'm really excited to work with. And I hope they're excited to work with me and then to mentally prepare myself to have a thick skin because Lord knows rejection isn't easy. But as we know, I got 10 different no's from Michelle Obama's team and it kept me going. That was with one potential partner. So for me to do this with multiple is definitely going to wear and tear on me and be a very difficult, I'm sure, process. But it's one that I am ready for. And it's really funny because I was talking to Mitch's dad and I'm saying with 2020, it's my year of making the bag, as some would say. And again, I'm being very candid with you guys because my income the last since I moved back from New York in 2017 has been dependent on external investments that I've made in other humans and other businesses. So I've had a lucrative investing career and it's supported me financially. And I so love investing in others, giving financial value to others, businesses and what they've built, especially when it's women of color, people of color. I genuinely believe the more money we invest in women led and person of color led businesses, 
like there is a karmic shift that happens when we do that and I like to involve myself from a financial standpoint in shifting that narrative and shifting that energy so I will always invest money I will always put money where I see significant value um, and not necessarily always return but it's just so happened that I've also experienced significant return from this investing ethos but I haven't generated revenue from my own self and my own endeavors in a few years now and that's very vulnerable to, sh to share with you guys um but 2020 is the year that i'm ready to do that because guess what at the core of any business is a product and i've been on the hunt for the right product since dream girl dream girl was one hell of a product and a mission and a vision and something that touched a lot of lives but at the core of it it was a film we could market that had a significant audience and a market that we could enter and do well in that market and since then for the last two years i've been searching for the next right product so i thought core space i thought me only as a speaker these different things that i was trying to pedal um and i was wrong those weren't the right ones and so i shut down core space and when i found the right product which i realized is me as an interviewer um as someone who is a media personality I now have a product for my business to sell and to scale. And so 2020 is the year where I'm going to test out this theory, go all in on myself and say, is this going to work? Is this the right next step? Is the market ready for me? Is, this, is there going to be product market fit here? <laughs> and so when I'm reading about Oprah and how the Chicago market was where she got that market validation and then the scalability happened from there, or Gimlet, where his experience at NPR showing him how he was such a great producer at creating new shows, and then the first few shows he did for Gimlet and their scalability that they did have. I'm in that period of time. I am running another startup, you guys. This is, it's like, <laughs> obviously, you're probably all just nodding your heads. Yes, you are, Komal. And I had like kind of decoupled myself from the entrepreneur label, but no, like I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is what I do. I've had some that failed. Um, but I really feel like I'm, I have the right one now. And so it's going to be exciting in 2020 to see what the impact is. But Mitch's dad, I was saying this to him the other night. He's like, I'm really excited to see what ends up happening for you because when you set your mind to it, who knows what happens? Like you always bring it to life and then some, and it felt really significant hearing it from him because he was there with me for every no with Michelle Obama. And that last second, last no, I just remember the look on his face where he was like, I knew this was going to happen and I just didn't want you to get your hopes up too much. And I remember going from that look to when I ran into the kitchen the day that, that I got the call that it was actually going to happen. And the look on his face was just like, holy shit, you fucking did it. <laughs> so 2020 is the year of making the bag. It's the year of finding the right partners and sponsors who are vision and mission aligned with me, who are ready to make a massive impact through my voice and through these interviews and through helping share the humanity behind these folks that we so look up to and hopefully creating a space that people do want to be a part of more and more and this is what we're testing out will there be product market fit stay tuned will this be the startup that works for me stay tuned um it's a wild ride but that is that action planning step of things um which leads me into so we went from celebrate your last win to get a sense of the next right step to research the shit out of things letting your mind wander 
was step four, give yourself space to let things settle, connections to be made. I think that and action planning kind of go hand in hand because as things come up, you're going to obviously want to write them out, figure out the next right steps. And I know I said next right step earlier, but there's micro steps within the next right bigger step. And so from action planning, you oscillate between breaking down the fear and coming back to action planning. So that's the next piece for me is break down the fear. And something that Alex said in the Gimlet, um, how I built this episode, was that he was asked, you know, what was keeping you up at night? Or like, did things get easier as you scaled? And he said, honestly, I thought we had, you know, big, important problems in the beginning. But as things got bigger, the problems felt worse and worse and worse. And he said, because the scale was different, there was more people involved, there was more money involved, there was more on the line. And as I was driving around yesterday, it just kind of hit me that like, things are only going to get more stressful, bigger, um, at a higher scale than what they are now. Like right now, it's me, Rhaenyra, hey Ren, who does our beautiful design, is my creative director, who works with me on a part-time basis on this stuff, Maddie, who's my podcast editor, who's also with me part-time, and then Kim, who's helping me figure out this next right phase of things, but also part-time. So it's me and then three part-time folks who I care deeply about. But as things scale, there's going to be more and more humans who are directly implicated, whose livelihoods depend on what I'm creating and what I'm doing on the things I say to you guys week after week. There's going to be more listeners who I'm going to have to be thoughtful about and very um, aware and educated myself in the things that I'm talking about, the things that I'm bringing up. There's going to be more partners involved. My partners I'm going to effectively see as my clients, as people that I'm serving um, so that they have the best experience working with me and working with lessons learned, but also that I really care about as well as my clients. And so think as things grow, the problems aren't going to get any less. In fact, they're probably going to keep getting bigger. So I might as well just sit back and enjoy things, right? I have to find that way to remind my brain that we can sit in the problems and we can be stuck in the fear, or we can know that we're always going to have something in front of us that's a challenge because that's life. Um, we're always going to have something in front of us that's going to need us to show up, need us to be our best selves, need us to figure it out, challenge, grief, all those harder personal things we've talked about. But from a business and work standpoint, if we're not improving and we're not evolving and us as a human species, we're wired for progress. And so the problems will keep getting bigger because that is the nature of progress. And my responsibility right now is to break down the fear and find presence so that I can enjoy, what did I say last week? Trust the process of your life unfolding. My responsibility on the work end of things is to do my best to enjoy the stress, to enjoy the intensity, to enjoy the learning of new things, to enjoy the putting myself out there for sponsorship for the first time, um, pitching myself, to try and enjoy this process because it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. This is not going to be easy. It's already not easy. It's vulnerable. It's scary. I'm building a new company and I'm at the center of it. Of course, base, I was trying to build myself out of it and that was hard. This is, it feels amazing because I get to do what I love for a living, which is speak and share and, and think and and share and interview and share. Um, But I can't hide. I have to do this. I have to go all out, which is why I decided to be so candid with you guys. So breaking down the fear is so important because that allows you to actually enjoy the journey of taking the next right step. 
And then after you break down the fear and at, or as simultaneously, I feel like these last few steps kind of are simultaneous versus sequential. Um, so letting your mind wander, action planning, you oscillate between the two and then action planning to breaking down the fear, you oscillate between the two and then between breaking down the fear and I literally have here attacking. So after you've broken down the fear, figured out your next right steps and action planned, it's about execution. And sometimes we can feel like going straight from that first part of it, which is like figuring out next right massive step and then straight into attacking. But without this research in between action planning, wandering, breaking down the fear, you will hit a lot more walls, in my opinion, if you just go straight from figuring out that next big step and then trying to attack it without strategy. And that's why this sort of lull in time or, or when people are like, what are you going to do next? And it's quiet on my socials and it's quiet. It's because it's time for quiet work again. I did two months of action-packed in-your-face social media posting and 14 flights and all these all these things, but now it's time for the quiet work, the in-between work that can allow us to actually do a really meaningful, wild, awesome, fucking great tour for you guys in early next year. That attacking phase is going to happen for me post-Mexico because I'm giving myself permission next week to to not sabotage my own vacation. <laughs> to not sabotage the continuation of my 30th birthday celebration and to just really like let myself settle in the things I want to learn and the way that I want my mind to wander next week. So the attack will come sooner, soon. <laughs> I realize attack is just so aggressive, but here, I, whatever. It's an aggressive word because you have to be aggressive in that phase of things. So this is what I would like to, like this is what I wanted to share with you guys this week around figuring out the next right step. It takes celebrating all that got you to this moment or your last big win, figuring out the next big overarching step. So for us, we knew it was tour, or I guess like even higher level than tour. It was, I want to scale this. I want to have a really great lessons learned podcast with interviews and solo episodes. I want to do it in front of live audiences. I want to interview thought leaders across North America right now. And don't worry, global listeners, I have got Singapore on my radar. I've got Australia on my radar. I've got India on my radar. I've got Europe on my radar. So we'll be coming that way eventually, but we're going to start North America first and early next year. And then doing the research. So for me, the reason I brought up like Oprah's global brand. And I was actually going to talk about Kim Kardashian West's brands as well, because from a business standpoint, it's wildly intelligent the way that Kris Jenner and Kim have scaled things. And I wish I had a momager. <laughs> Sometimes I call mom my momager when we're live in person together. But imagine having that kind of support from a family member, how different it would be from a business standpoint, especially when you're doing things on your own like I am. It can be really lonely sometimes. Um, so sometimes I do wish I had a Kris Jenner momager in my corner. Um, but we'll I'll, I'll find my version of that or I'm in the process of finding my version of that. And the, re the reason I wanted to share those is because that would be the scale that I would eventually like to hit one day. And that can sound crazy and it might be wild and audacious and all of these things, but my heart's always known that. I was sitting with my cousin who I grew up with and she was in town for a weekend a few weeks ago and I was telling her, you know, about the interviewing and it was right when the Michelle Obama interview was confirmed and, you know, she was like, Como, you've always said you're either going to be on the Oprah shop Oprah show or you're going to be Oprah. And I was just like, really? Like, I didn't remember that from when I was a kid. And of course, guys, no one can be Oprah, but I can be inspired by what she's created for herself, the impact and influence she has had. And more than that, 
just being true to who she is, the passion that she has and her purpose in this life. And I am reading The Seed of the Soul right now, which is one of her favorite books. I got to meet Gary Zukav when I was part of the Super Soul 100. We ended up spending the full day together and he's the author of that book. And one of the quotes that Oprah loves the most from that is authentic power is when the personality comes to serve the energy of the soul. So when our personality, the way that we experience this reality on this earth, this life, matches the frequency and what is intended for us at a soul level, what our souls are here to do, that's authentic power. And I think Oprah, anyone else I've seen in the world, has found a way to align those things and be in that flow with herself and her purpose of being here. So that more than anything is the inspiration for me. And it just so happens that interviewing is also the thing that I'm most most love to do in this life and I'm like given the gifts of in this life. So I'm excited to pursue that more and see what that scale can look like. But oh my God, is it daunting to think about, to think about what it would take for me in this little office in CARP with yes, such a, things that I'm so proud to have accomplished, but like the road ahead is a long one being able to be candid with you guys and open with you guys about those aspirations, hopes, and dreams here on this podcast is really helpful for me. And, you know, Mitch said something to me last week after our interview went out. I think I said something about, like, my gifts and, and what I want to give to the world. And he was like, you know, it kind of, like, it that shouldn't be something you necessarily say. Like, it comes across perhaps a little bit, like, um, showy or egotistical. And some of the things I say or when I set my intention for where I want to go could come off that way. But if I can't talk about where I want to go, then it's suffocating for me. And so I want to be honest. I want to be real with you guys with the scale of the things that I want to do. And if I don't make it, maybe one day I'll say, I told you so. Or see, like, she failed or she didn't make it to that place. But maybe one day it'll we'll look back at this episode and say, holy shit, look at everything that came and it actually happened. So I'd rather take the risk and be honest about what I want and see if I can make it happen than keep this to myself and just let it eat me from the inside out with my ball of anxiety that I was sitting in prior to pushing record on this episode. But all this to say, I hope that through you guys getting a glimpse into my brain and how I'm planning the next right steps for my business and my art, you have been able to extrapolate for yourself a process to do the same for your for you. That step one of celebrating all that you came from, figuring out that next big macro step, doing the research of people who are perhaps in your industry or parallel to where you want to go, learning as much as you can from them and their experiences, their stories, letting your mind wander and making the connections that you need from a creative and strategic standpoint, diving into your action plan, getting things organized for yourself so that you have systems in place to keep yourself accountable for the things you want to create and where you want to go, and breaking down the fear, naming the fear, and creating space for you to actually find joy in the process instead of just anxiety, (laughs) and then attacking, getting to work, doing the work, going from thought to action, which is where we find most relief of the anxieties that are in us, in my opinion, when it comes to work and and the things that we want to do in the world. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. This is a little bit more of a business strategic episode, but uh, this is what I've been spending most of my time thinking about. 
you'll be getting an episode next week. Either uh, I'll have recorded it right before Mexico or while we're in Mexico. So can't wait to be back in your guys's earbuds next week. All right. Until next time. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to follow me, Komal, check me out on Instagram at K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N-H-A-S or the show at Lessons Learned Podcast underscore. And if you have an idea of a lesson that we should dive into on the show, then slide into our DMs and submit there or on the website along with any guests you think I should interview and talk all of the things with. As always, I hope that you make some time for you this week and reflect on the lessons you're learning or have learned and take some time to celebrate all the incredible that is you. Until next time, guys. Bye.